The following is a President's Chapel given by Dr. W. Robert Godfrey. For more information about this lecture or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474, wscal.edu, 888-480-8474. If you would join me uh, in the reading of God's Word by turning to Paul's epistle to Rome, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 7, then chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, and then the concluding verses of Romans chapter 16, uh, particularly verses 25 through the end. So let's give attention to the reading of God's word, beginning in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Hear now the word of God. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. It is our custom, and I think a very good one, that we begin our academic year with this convocation, a time of worship, a time of praise, a time of looking into God's word, preeminently a time of celebration, uh, to remind ourselves that we uh, commit ourselves to this year of study not in our own strength or according to our own wisdom, but in service to our God and with the prayer that he will bless us, that he will use this time and uh, our efforts together uh, to be building us up in the faith and in the knowledge of his word. And so we gather not only to praise and to, prayer, to pray, but also to look into his word. And uh, I think it's uh, appropriate uh, today, I hope it's appropriate because we're gonna do it anyway. Um, I think it's appropriate today uh, to look into the way in which Paul celebrates at the end of his letter to the Romans. I want us to focus on that wonderful doxology uh, where uh, Paul writes, concluding this uh, amazing letter, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, 
according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, we might say that's almost typically Pauline, isn't it? In his celebration, there is an exuberance, a piling up of phrases as if in his eagerness to give glory to God, he, he can't hardly hold himself back. And phrase piles upon phrase as he thinks about uh, the glory of the God whom he has represented in this letter to the Romans. And uh, in this doxology, he's really uh, pulling together many of the threads of the teaching uh, that he has presented throughout this letter. Uh, one might almost say that this uh, doxology is a kind of summary of the letter on Paul's part. Uh, but it's not a doxology um, that partakes of some prayers that we may have heard in our lifetimes where we suspect that the one praying is speaking more to the audience than to God. Sometimes we've heard prayers that seem more like sermons than like prayers. I don't think Paul's doing that here. Uh, Paul is sort of incapable in doxology of not expounding on the truth about the one he is addressing. Uh, that's the nature of Paul's pastoral theology. It's always rich in content, rich in meaning, uh, rich in reflection. Uh, that's the kind of praise that Paul engages in, a reflection-rich, meditative praise. And uh, he draws us in then to his celebration. Uh, he's celebrating at the end of a letter. We're celebrating at the beginning of a school year. But I think the celebrations fit well together because Paul really is speaking to us in a profound way here to encourage us in our studies because this doxology is glorifying the one who is able to strengthen you. Uh, that's good to bear in mind because we all always need strengthening. Um, this word strengthening has the sense of establishing, of, of confirming. Uh, it is to strengthen us particularly in what we already have, to ensure that we will continue in the path that the Lord has called us to, in the faith that he has given to us. Uh, the God who began a good work in us will bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's the promise that is given to us. And, and that's the kind of God we serve, the God whom Paul here praises, a God who will strengthen us, establish us, confirm us, uh, ensure that we continue to be his people and continue to be useful in his hand. And how will God do that? Well, if we were thinking somewhat abstractly or if we were writing a systematic theology to, to be thorough and cover all bases, there might be any number of things that we could say about how God strengthens his people, how God confirms his people in their faith. But it's intriguing that here, Paul focuses very specifically 
we might say on just one aspect, what Paul here is clearly highlighting as a most important aspect of how it is that God strengthens his people. And the answer to that is he strengthens his people through his word. Again, we see the exuberance of Paul as in this doxology he thinks about the word of God as it comes to God's people. And, and the variety of words that he uses in this exuberance to say that God is going to strengthen you through his word. My gospel, the preaching, the revelation, the disclosure, the prophetic writings, the command. See how over and over again, Paul is returning to essentially the same thing. God the revealer. God the one who speaks. God the one who communicates. God the one who tells the truth. God whose word comes with the function of strengthening his people. And I think this is such a crucial word for us uh, today. Uh, there are all sorts of claims made in our time, aren't there, about how you can get in touch with God. Uh, how God speaks. Whether it's some claim of an inner voice or some realization of hidden potential or some ancient tradition or some modern revelation, whatever it is, there are all sorts of claims of how God speaks. But Paul is celebrating here a God who speaks in a very particular way through his word. And that's why we study the way we study. We study because we have confidence in the word of God. We study because we believe the word of God is the way for the strengthening of the people of God. If you don't believe that, you are wasting an awful lot of time studying Greek and Hebrew. There are people who think it is a waste of time to study Greek and Hebrew. Why don't you just get out and do something for Jesus? Why are you just sitting there in the library studying Greek and Hebrew? Especially when some days you may think you haven't learned that much Greek and Hebrew. It's because you need to be convinced, you need to be persuaded, you need to be gripped by a conviction that God will strengthen you and all his people through his word. And the more effectively you know the word, the closer you can come to that word with understanding, the more useful you will be in the hands of God to help others be strong in the word. That's, that's Paul's conviction here. That's what, what Paul is celebrating here. It, it always impresses me that, that Paul so seems to anticipate what the church is going to need through all centuries. How could Paul have known what Christians in Escondido would need in the 21st century? And what Christians studying in Escondido would need to carry to California, to the United States, to the Philippines, to Vietnam, to the Ukraine, all around the world. Different cultures, different languages. 
Different needs? Well, in a sense. But Paul says underlying all of those differences of needs, there is one fundamental truth by which God will strengthen his people. And that's why we study the word. We study the word in the original languages. We study the word uh, in terms of various books of the Bible and sections of the Bible. We study the word as it's been systematically reflected on. We study the word supremely in the history of the church. It's kind of the high point of education, it's church history. I have to say that because no one else will. Um, we, we study it then to be able to apply it and use it in various pastoral situations. The real character of our whole education here is that we would become more and more people who can faithfully, effectively, truthfully communicate the word of God. And, and that's, you see, not just some Protestant tradition. That's not just some Reformed and Presbyterian peculiarity. That is what Paul and all of the apostles testify to. How does God strengthen his church? How does God confirm his church? How does God build up his church? He does it through his word. And where churches are built up in other things, they may very well not be churches at all. Or at least they're not being really strengthened in the way God would have them strengthened. And I think we need to have that kind of conviction as we go forward. We need strengthening, don't we? Because we're weak. Because we're easily distracted. Because we're easily discouraged. But we gather together to celebrate a God who promises to strengthen us. To strengthen us through his word. And Paul seems to highlight Sort of three ways of which the word does that. Uh, Paul was a preacher, so we shouldn't be surprised. He often has three points uh, to make. First of all, uh, Paul thinks about the word in terms of the gospel. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according... Interesting. Do you notice that? One, one of the real skills to develop at seminary is to listen to the word. Now, Paul might well have said according to the gospel. Or he could have said according to Christ's gospel. Or he could have said according to God's gospel. But he says here according to my gospel. Sort of proprietary, isn't it? Um, maybe just a whiff of arrogance there. My gospel. What's, what's the point he ma he's making? He knows in the first century that there are many voices out there and that there are a number of various gospels that are being presented to people out there. He's going to have to confront false gospels and false teachers and super apostles and others who are not reliable. And so, with great confidence, he's willing to say, I, Paul, who am the last apostle, I, Paul, who saw the Lord, I, Paul, who in conjunction with other apostles has 
faithfully carried out my work. I, Paul, who've been slandered and misrepresented and mistreated, but have always stood by the gospel. I, Paul, tells you it's the gospel I've preached to you that is the one that God will use to strengthen you. Because my gospel is the true gospel. My gospel is the gospel about Jesus, descended from David according to the flesh. The Son of God, proven by the power of his resurrection. That gospel that I preach to you is the gospel. And that's how God will strengthen you. Had a conversation this summer at a restaurant. Somebody learned I was a theological professor. And they smiled and they said, Oh, it's wonderful to be interested in religion. There's so many ways to God, aren't there? And I said, no. <laughs> I was at another gathering. It was a tough summer for me. And um, <laughs> sitting with friends of my sister and was introduced to one of her friends. And the friend said, oh, you're the religious, I said, fanatic. <laughs> well, we live in a world where there's constant pressure to affirm gospels. And Paul says, no. The way God strengthens his people is through the one gospel, my gospel, the one I've been telling you. And he does that preeminently through preaching. I want to encourage the practical theology department, in particular here. How does God strengthen us? By the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now, there may be other ways to get the word out, but Paul is highlighting here the centrality, the necessity of preaching. We can maybe talk at length about why he highlights preaching. Poor Paul, he lived before, you know, there were DVDs and tweets and I'll stop there before I reveal my utter ignorance of technology. But I think Paul highlights preaching, uh, particularly because it comes with a certain authority of office. My gospel, the preaching, but also preaching always remains a personal interaction. There's something face-to-face -face about preaching. And what Paul is saying here is, is God, through the gospel, as it is faithfully preached and carried out, is going to strengthen you, is going to strengthen his people, is going to accomplish his purpose. And we all need to be confident in that because, again, there are so many who would lead us away from confidence in that reality. You have confidence not only in the word, but also in preaching. Now, confidence in preaching doesn't mean that once you become a preacher, you don't have to work anymore because God is stuck with you. It doesn't mean you can become arrogant or lazy. But it does mean that you are using the means that God has appointed as the central means of accomplishing his purpose. And God, as you are faithful, will use you and strengthen you 
to strengthen others. That's what Paul is promising here. So, as he celebrates the God who strengthens through the word, he talks about the gospel, but then he also talks about the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings been made known. That's always important to pause and meditate on what Paul is saying, because if you pause for very long, you might say, isn't there a slight contradiction here? Now, I'm not saying there's a contradiction in the Bible. I'm just saying there's an apparent little problem here. If something has long been a mystery and not known, namely through the whole Old Testament period, how is it that it's made known through the prophetic writings? You see that little problem there, that little tension there? You don't seem gripped by anxiety, as far as I can tell from uh, facial expressions. Um, but, but there's a little issue here, isn't there? And I think Paul is, is doing a very interesting balancing that he does through the whole book of Romans, where he is saying, on the one hand, there is something new in the coming of Christ, but he's also saying it's not brand new. God always knew what he was doing, and God always said what he was doing, and he said it through the prophetic writings, which are now becoming much more widely known and used by preachers. Paul quotes the prophets over and over again to the Romans. It's kind of interesting. Um, and one of the reasons why it is of some value to study Greek, that uh, the ESV, which is generally a very good translation, has here the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. That word really has more the sense of the mystery that was kept quiet through long ages. It's not that it was hidden away and buried. It's that it just wasn't being carried out and made known far and wide. It was known. It was contained in the prophetic writings. But it wasn't being preached far and wide to the nations. Now, that's an important point for Paul to make in the ancient world. It's an important point to make in the Greek-speaking world and in the Latin-speaking world, because if there was one common conviction in that ancient Western world, it was this, anything new must be wrong. See, we live in the opposite sort of society. We live in a society whose prejudice is anything old must be wrong. But in the ancient world, there was particularly in the intellectual realm, a, a fairly settled conviction that the truth has been long known, that the older the religion, the more likely it was to be true. If Christianity is brand new, it can't be right. And so apologists for Christianity like Paul are constantly making the point, uh, we represent the fulfillment of that oldest of all religions, namely Judaism. And Paul in this doxology is sort of making those, both these points. The truth we preach is a truth always revealed by God, 
It's the only way to know it is by revelation. But it was revealed by God long ago already in the prophetic writings, but is now being made known, being talked about, being carried forth, being preached so that people can know it. The gospel, which is the revelation of God. A revelation making Christ known, carrying forth. That's the third point, the command of God. The command of God that this gospel, this revelation, be carried to all nations. Carried to all nations. It's not just for the Jews anymore. It's not just for those who might come to the Jews and identify with the Jews anymore. It's now to be taken out. It's now to be proclaimed around the world. And of course, one of the, one of the joys of being a 21st century Christian is to see how fully the God who strengthens has been accomplishing that purpose through the centuries. So that we, we look around and we see hardly a Jew in the place. That's too bad. But what we do, do see is nations remarkably represented <coughs> from every part of the earth, right here in our little place. We have Swedes and Norwegians sitting almost next to each other. And all sorts of other barriers um, taken down. At one point, we had Turks and Israelis studying together here. Barriers taken down. Because the command of the eternal God has been that the gospel and revelation of Jesus Christ are to be carried out to all nations. Now, each one of us can't carry it to every nation. And that's why it's so important that we think about our own callings. Last night, we had our new student reception, and one of the questions asked of new students is, what do you hope to do when you get out of here? And some people knew pretty much what they thought the Lord was calling them to do. Others were not sure at all. But the common sort of response is, I want to serve where the Lord is calling me. I want to determine where Christ would have me as an individual serve. And, and that's the way that all the nations are going to hear. Uh, that's the way this doxology is going to be fulfilled. That's the way God is strengthening his people so that all the nations might be brought to what? The obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. That great phrase that Paul introduced already in chapter 1 of Romans. Now, I think Paul, when he wrote that or dictated that, I think that phrase brought a slight smile to his face. This is just my theory. I'm not an exegete, um, so you shouldn't trust what I say too far. But I think Paul had a slight smile on his face when he wrote that phrase the obedience of faith. 
all how much time and energy has been spent in the history of the church trying correctly to talk about the relationship of obedience and faith. And how many people have gotten it wrong? Through it seems to be a failure to read the book of Romans carefully. You see, Paul began writing to the Romans already thinking about how am I going to make clear, clear to these people the relationship of obedience to faith since I'm being maligned on precisely this issue. Paul makes that clear, doesn't he, in Romans 3, verse 8. And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying. Paul preached a gospel so rich in grace and in mercy and in the forgiveness of sins that it led some people to say, he's actually saying that we ought to do evil so we can more fully experience the goodness of grace. And Paul's saying that's just a slander. And it is, isn't it? You don't have to read very far in Paul to know his concern about holiness. His concern about sanctification. About his concern that Christians should be growing in obedience. And so I see just this little Pauline smile as he anticipates his critics by saying, what needs to be preached to the nations? The obedience of faith. Real obedience to God and his holy law that can arise only out of true faith. That can arise only out of those who have, by faith, received the mercy of Jesus. And so Paul really lays the foundation for his marvelous explication of justification by faith alone in Romans 3 and 4 and 5 to ensure that we will not be distracted either into antinomianism or into neonomianism. Those delightful phrases that could only have been invented by theologians or church historians. The obedience of faith. Faith, the foundation. Obedience, the fruit. That's the message to be carried to the nations, to all nations, so that they might be strengthened in the wise plan of God. That's how the doxology really concludes. It's as if some of the stuff about the word in the middle of the doxology is somewhat parenthetical because he wants to talk about the one who strengthens the only wise God. The only wise God is the one who strengthens through his word. And that was the wisdom of his plan from before creation. That's the wisdom of his plan with his people in every generation. That's the wisdom of his plan that will succeed in strengthening you and me and the church in every age through his word. 
And that's the confidence we need to have as we begin a new academic year. As we give ourselves to study, we're following the wise plan of God to strengthen us so that we will be more useful, more faithful, more able to serve him and to make him known. May God encourage you in these weeks and months of study that he is a God who will strengthen you through that very word that you're studying. Copyright 2015, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.